this morning we are finishing the great prayer of Jesus in the upper room, uh, John 17. We're looking at the final verses, verses 20 to 26, and turn there as I read this morning. Uh, this, this is uh, the inerrant, infallible word of the true and living God. It's the only rule of your faith and your practice. So give your attention to the reading of God's Word this morning for His glory and for our good. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Uh, The sermon title this morning is, Is Unity Even Possible Anymore? Uh, Whose voice should we trust about the pandemic? Should we wear masks or not wear masks? Should we say black lives matter or all lives matter or blue lives matter or purple lives matter? I just made that last one up. Not just what what should we say about it, but what should we do about racial inequities and growing racial divides? Trump or Biden? Donkeys or elephants? Who should we vote for? Who can we vote for? What should we think about the election or January 6th? I could go on for 25 minutes at this point. Uh, Questions like these have driven a wedge wedge through the middle of churches. Uh, We've experienced it in our own church. We find ourselves in a season when the unity of the church has been deeply wounded. Uh, We've been studying the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. When we get to verse 20, where we are this morning, we discover that, strictly speaking, verses 6 to 19 were about the 12 apostles. Uh, And in verse 20, Jesus begins to pray for those who would come to believe through their witness. That's us. And what Jesus prays for in these final verses uh, is the unity of all who believe. Think about that, that on the night before his crucifixion, as Jesus anticipates his own death, 
what is on the heart of our Lord is the unity of his church. Jesus' church is anything but one right now. Uh, And that means the Lord's heart is wounded by what is happening in the church. So we want to look at these verses, uh, and I I think we should learn at least three things about unity in this passage, uh, and they are that it's a spiritual unity, that our unity is a visible unity, uh, and that it's also uh, an incomplete unity. Uh, So let's just start with the spiritual unity. The oneness for which Jesus is praying here, it's not an organizational unity. It's not a denominational unity. Uh, It's not a unity that can be produced by holding the same views or the same doctrinal standards, even though that's important. It's not actually a unity that we produce at all. This unity is not a work of the flesh. It's a gift of the Spirit. Uh, That's what we mean when we talk about a spiritual unity. The Spirit is enfolding us into the unity of the Father and the Son. And one of the big points of John's Gospel, if you've been with us uh, throughout it, is that the Father and the Son are one. John chapter 10, verse 30. The Father is in the Son, the Son is in the Father, the Father inhabits the Son, the Son inhabits the Father. Uh, some people call this uh, mutual indwelling. There's a dime store theology word for it, perichoresis, that you can use to impress your friends on Monday if you want. Um, but Jesus says we are pulled into that dynamic of the Father and the Son's unity by the Spirit. So look at what Jesus says in verse 21, or actually uh, look first at what Jesus doesn't say at, in verse 21. He does not say that they may be one, just as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in each other. That's not what Jesus says. Just like we are, just like Father, you and I are in each other, they should be in each other. Uh, we are a model, a, a picture of the way other people should be, which is certainly true on one level, but it's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, just as I am in you and you are in me, may they be in us. Our oneness is not that I am bonded to you and you are bonded to me. Our oneness is that together we are bonded to the Father and to the Son. And so it's not simply that we mirror or we reflect to each other the unity of the Father and the Son. It's actually that we participate in it. And you hear this again throughout the chapter in verse 23, I in them and you in me. In verse 26, your love in them and I in them. Uh, This unity isn't something that we are creating. It is something that God has created uh, in the Son, by the Spirit, and we are working it out with joy. So I've said this before, uh, that Jesus had both a zealot and a tax collector as part of his twelve. 
People at opposite sides of the political spectrum, one who worked for the regime and one who worked to overturn the regime. There was something bigger that united them than the things we usually camp on. Uh, And so if we really believe together that we have been drawn into and share in the triune life of God together, then I think secondary and tertiary loyalties will be put in their place and relativized. Uh, So talking about the inner life of God, this mutual indwelling, it sounds pretty uh, ethereal and invisible and mystical, uh, but Jesus says that unity is not only spiritual, he says it also becomes visible. It's something that people can see. And in particular, it's something that the world sees so that they believe that God sent his son. Verse 21, again, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Uh, So remember that the world in John's gospel is humanity working against God, uh, rowing away from God. Uh, The world is in darkness. The world doesn't believe the Father sent the Son. But now we read that there is something that will show this to the world, that the Father sent the Son, so that they can believe. And uh, what is it? It's the oneness of disciples. So I don't believe that Jesus is saying that the world will look at the church and say, wow, that's a hot mess. But I discern that spiritually they are all engaged in mutually indwelling the Father and the Son uh, in the Trinitarian life. You know, that's a spiritual reality. There's nothing physical to it. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying is the world will look at the church and say, wow, where does that kind of other-centered love and self-sacrifice come from? If it doesn't come from God, I don't know where it comes from. That our unity is spiritual, a product of the Holy Spirit, means it is a gift. That our unity is visible means that it is a calling that we work out. So our mission is for the world to see the love of God in Christ. And a key way that that happens is that we are united in love toward each other and toward other Christians. Verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Uh, So I've said this before, uh, healthy churches are a form of evangelism. They're not the totality of evangelism, but they're a form of evangelism. Uh, And the unity of the church is one of the greatest advertisements for God's grace and love and power that there is. Francis Schaeffer calls it the final apologetic. He says this, We cannot expect the world 
to believe that the Father sent the Son, that Jesus' claims are true, and that Christianity is true, unless the world sees some reality of the oneness of true Christians. Uh, so maybe you've heard that the church father, Tertullian, once reported that what the pagans would say about Christians, see how they loved one another. Or he would say, see how they love one another. Excuse me. See how they are ready to die for one another. See how they share their goods with one another. See how they forgive and suffer long with one another. See how they prefer one another. Uh, I think we all know People are not saying that today about Christians. Uh, it's more like, see how they argue with one another. See how they divide from one another. See how they devour one another. The first thing we should see about another Christian is never a stance that they take on a particular issue. It is that they have been loved and cared for and cherished and protected by our Father. And if that's what our Father does for them, then that's what I should do for them. Uh, and I think we, we should just have a moment of honesty. All churches should have a moment of honesty about this. Uh, if we are finding our unity in something other than the gospel, in political positions, in doctrines that we think make us better than other Christians, in the fact that our church is comfortable to us just the way it is, so don't change anything. The world will sniff out that there is something more important to us than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we aren't really fooling anybody but ourselves. So the world comes to know that the Father sent the Son not just by hearing the apostolic witness about Jesus' death and resurrection, but also by seeing an enacted witness of believers being united together, and they will see that God has lovingly accepted us in our loving acceptance of one another. Uh, here's uh, one final comment on this point. Uh, a comment I came across by D.A. Carson that I thought was helpful. Uh, he says, Without the demonstration of the love of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is arid, dry. Uh, without the demonstration of the love of the gospel, or so without the demonstration of the love of the gospel, the truth of the gospel is beautiful only in the way a desert landscape is beautiful. But nothing grows there. Uh, and there are churches like that, and churches can become like that. We have all of our doctrines and our cultural and political sensibilities worked out and lined up and on display, but it's a relational desert. And it might look nice and it might check all your boxes, but it's 120 degrees out. Well, it's almost 120 degrees out, so maybe I shouldn't use that example today. Uh, it's 130 degrees out, and there's no water, and nothing can grow. Uh, we don't want that kind of landscape as a church. We want God to send the refreshing rains of grace that make things grow and make other people say, that's life, 
that's the way that life should be. That's how God intended us to live. Uh, so it's a spiritual unity. It's a visible unity. Uh, it's, it's, in this life, an in incomplete unity. It's not perfect now. Uh, and we know that uh, because look at what Jesus prays in verse 24. He says, Father, uh, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Uh, That's when there will be complete unity. Uh, When we are fully united uh, because we are with Jesus and perfectly behold his glory. Uh, I think it's the unity of Revelation 5 when all God's people surround the throne and cry out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Uh, So we cannot, even though we strive for it, expect perfect unity uh, right now. But since unity is imperfect in this life, our job is to cultivate it. Uh, Unity and oneness and the commands to pursue them are a constant theme in Paul's writings. Uh, There are so many verses here, I I just, I can't quote them all. I, I had a list at one point and it was as long as the sermon itself. So let me just read two. Uh, Romans 15, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Philippians 2.2, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Uh, I think we're in a time when we all could probably use a tutorial Uh, about cultivating unity. Uh, So let me get into the nuts and bolts for just a second and give you a couple things that come to my mind reading this passage about cultivating unity. Uh, One, pray for unity. It's what Jesus is doing. It can't be a bad idea if Jesus is doing it. He doesn't provide a white paper. Uh, He doesn't have uh, a strategy meeting. He doesn't provide a link to a TED Talk. Uh, He prays for God to make more and more concrete what is already true by the Spirit. Pray for unity. That's number one. Number two, remember your opinions are not infallible. And you don't see everything clearly. If you don't believe that, go have a conversation with the person you were five years ago. And let them uh, remind you about it. Uh, And I think we all know people who love Jesus very much and are sincerely seeking to follow him in truth and yet hold to different opinions than we do. Uh, We just have to put to death our high opinions about our opinions uh, and our view of self and our pride and cultivate humility. So that's number two. Uh, Number three, focus on real people. You know, the people with flesh and blood. It's so easy right now to read the news, to go out on social media and get outraged 
about the behavior of Christians. I've done this. I'm sure you have too. Uh, Maybe you go online and read about the Christian nationalists or the Christian progressives and you think to yourself, I could never be united to those people. Um, Right now, God is not calling you to be united with someone that you never met and probably never will. Uh, But what if you just put down your phone for a while and focus on the people right here with whom we have a common life? And ask yourself, how do I move toward some of these people in love and unity so together we can better express the unity and love of the Father and the Son since they dwell in us and we dwell in them. Uh, Now, by the way, I I don't think unity means we paper over significant issues. I don't think I have to say that about myself, but I'll say it anyway uh, because we're being taped. Uh, I'm kidding. Uh, You know, I've said strong things uh, over the past year and a half about Christian nationalism, about race, about pandemic denialism, because I think these things are damaging to the church's witness, and real unity uh, is based on love for and obedience to the truth. The question is not what is your view of those things. The question is how do you treat actual people that you know when those things come up? Uh, that really matters, and we should find a way to reflect unity in that. And here's the last one. Again, it's one I've talked about before, but I think it's so important. Don't trade the blessing of unity for the comfort of uniformity. Uh, So many times we've we've heard this now. Uh, Let's go find a church where people reflect back to me what I already believe. I want to go where people have the same political views I do, the same view of parenting, the same demographic, uh, the same excitement over some pet theological hobby horse. Uh, Listen to this great quote by Ralph Winter that I providentially came across this week. He says, I see the world church as the gathering together of a great symphony orchestra, where we don't make every new person coming in play a violin in order to fit in with the rest. We invite the people to come in to play the same score, the Word of God, but to play their own instruments. And in this way, there will issue forth a heavenly sound that will grow in the splendor and glory of God as each new instrument is added. Uh, Isn't that a great analogy? We're not asking everybody to play the same instrument in the same way. Play the score. The score is the Word of God. The score is the Gospel of God. Uh, Everyone's going to play that in a little bit of a different way, and together that's why we're a symphony. So uh, I think that's a beautiful vision for us, by the way. We should pursue it. Uh, So the question is, is unity even possible anymore? Uh, Remember who is praying here. Uh, Jesus, the eternal Son, who is in the Father, and the Father is in Him. Two times in this prayer, verses 21 and 23, Jesus prays that the world may believe the Father sent the Son. Uh, There's another place earlier in John where Jesus prays the same thing. He stood outside of Lazarus' tomb, and he prayed this, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. And I am saying this so people may believe that you sent me. 
And then he uttered the words, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus came out. Uh, we are living in times of strong disagreement about almost everything. Uh, throw in the increase of disinformation and suspicion and unity right now might seem harder than someone raising the dead. But if Jesus can command forth Lazarus out of the tomb and he desires our unity, he can call it forth and we don't have to despair. We can cultivate it in confidence because he not only prays for our unity, he goes to the cross to secure it, to make us one, redeemed sinners, children of the Father, each one of us receiving that grace not because we had the right view of anything, but because we were the objects of his love. Uh, we need to let that unite us, and we need to let our unity be a gift to a divided world. Amen? Let's pray together.